Martha Clement's going to come tell us about the mission project that they put together and deliver our mission project to the recipients. So, Miss Martha, you come on up. Thank you, Pastor. Um, we were very excited this week because the Bible School curriculum suggested we do <coughs> excuse me <coughs> suggested we do health kits and uh, take them for to, uh, to be used in a mission setting and we were excited because we thought well, we ought to be able to do at least a few well boys and girls first through fourth grade their mothers and daddies and the teachers we had enough uh, material to make 50 health kits. In the health kits, we put toothpaste, toothbrush, comb, soap, um, washcloths, deodorant, and then some people got really creative and we had some razors and shaving cream and we had uh, snacks for everyone. In fact, we had so much stuff, we still have things left over. Everything that was given was uh, is going to the mission. We're really excited. I don't know if you can see, there's a whole push cart here with 50 health kits in it, uh, plus all the extras, and we're really excited. We wanted the boys and girls to meet Miss Amber Williams. She it works with our mission, with Main Street Mission, and she is going to receive it. But first I want to say thank you to all the parents who went shopping at the last minute. I know uh, it wasn't much um, lead time to get uh, everything together, but uh, thank you for helping your children. We studied about standing strong together this week, and I think the kids were excited to see that when they worked together, they could do much more together than just one person could do. That even, that they could work with God, we're never alone if we have God with us, but God and our, our church family were able to do this. So uh, Amber, if you'll come please. Good morning. Um, on behalf of Pastor Sam and the rest of the Mission family, I would like to say a special thank you to the children and their parents and all of the FBC Vacation Bible School staff and for just having us here this morning and for gathering all the items and things they'll be greatly used in our Mercy Ministries, which goes on during the week and we help um, different homeless individuals and just individuals who are struggling um, through life right now and so we'll put these items to use and we are in great appreciation for them so again thank you and we're just happy to be here this morning and happy to receive your blessing thank you stand with us this morning as we sing to our Lord. He is exalted. The King is exalted on high. He is exalted. The King is exalted on high. I will praise Him. He is exalted
we're thankful for what we've already experienced here this morning. Seeing boys and girls, men and women, praising your name. And Lord, I'm thankful for what Vacation Bible School means, has meant in the lives of boys and girls for years and years. And my prayer this morning is that lives will be changed as a result of this week. And now as we pause at this time during our service to offer our offerings to you, may those offerings be used for your love and your glory. For it's in your name I pray. Amen. No mountain, no valley, no gain or loss we know could keep us from your love. No sickness, no secret, no chain is strong enough to keep us from your love. To keep us from your love In all things we know 
of uh, this week and also the theme of our uh, Bible school this week. As we have learned to be uh, facing our fears and trusting in God, but also as we consider today being strengthened in faith. You know, from time to time, everyone's faith is shaken and tested. No matter who we are, where we are, our faith is shaken and tested. In times of grief, we may find ourselves saying things like, well, I may have been struggling before and I wondered where God was, but now I just feel like God has left me. There may be other times when our faith is shaken, when we, uh, don't, uh, things don't come out like we had hoped and we may wonder, did God even hear our prayers? And maybe when others ridicule us for the faith that we have, we ask, is what I believe even true? Is it even real? And when some question the logic of our faith, we might wonder, does my faith stand up to the questioning? In times like this, there is a question that presses in upon us, and it's a question that we should ask ourselves and we should consider, do you really believe that what you believe is really real? Do you really believe that what you believe is really real? real. That question comes from the Truth Project, a discipleship study that uh, Focus on the Family has put out that we're actually going to be going through on Wednesday evenings uh, starting in the fall. It's a whole study about having a biblical worldview and understanding our faith and so that we can answer the question, do I really believe that what I believe is really real, that it is true? You know, here at First Baptist Church Pineville, our goal is that no matter the circumstance, no matter the trial, no matter the testing of our faith, that we can answer yes to that question. That we can say, yes, I really do believe that this is really true. But it's not always easy to believe, is it? It's not always easy to believe. Life is not easy. Disappointments come, grief comes, challenges come, trials come, and all of those test our faith, some more than others, some for longer periods than others, but, and, and all in different ways, but the testing of our faith comes. And we have to ask the question, do we really believe that what we believe is really true? But if we're strengthened in the faith, 
then even in times of testing, we can still believe and stand strong. It doesn't matter what comes. And it doesn't matter what is being questioned. We'll believe it all from Noah's ark to the return of Christ. From our salvation in Jesus Christ to the healing of our bodies through the Holy Spirit. From uh, heaven to hell, from God's love to his unending forgiveness. We can really believe that what we believe is really real. Now that doesn't mean that we don't go through periods of wrestling. Or that we never go through periods of struggle and testing. It doesn't mean that we never face doubt even. It just simply means that we have faith and we still believe that when everything else is shifting around us or when the flaming darts of the evil one are being hurled at us, that we believe that what we believe is really real. A strong faith is essential to life. That's why the Bible encourages us, even commands us, to be strong in our faith. We're going to look briefly at several texts this morning, so I'd ask that you'd follow along in your Bible or on your phone or iPad or whatever you have. But first, turn to the letter of Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 7. And the text that I really want you to look at will be on the screen for you to uh, see the reference. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 7. The, the people of Colossae faced challenges to their faith. And their city was basically a gumbo of philosophies and religions. And they were surrounded by all kinds of things. And they faced uh, great trials because of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul tells the people of Colossae here in Colossians 2 verses 6 and 7 these things. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Paul knew that the faithful struggle with faith. Did you hear that? Paul knew that the faithful struggle with faith. He knew that it's a part of real life. It's something that we face, that we have to wrestle with. It's normal. It happens. Nearly every biblical hero had a struggle with faith at some point in his life. But yet they are still considered, these biblical heroes, faithful to the end and faithful in the end. You see, it's not the struggle that you're in, the, the pressing of your faith. It's how you believe over all the time. Think about it like this. All of us in school at times, we probably had a, a semester where there was one particular test or one particular paper that we just absolutely bombed. Maybe there was something going on in life that week we just couldn't study like we needed to or maybe it was a, a unit we just really didn't grasp everything about or maybe there was another test that we really needed to put more focus on and we just couldn't get to this one and, and we, we bombed that one test. But at the end of the semester, when all the grades were averaged, we were okay. You see, it's not the one test that comes. It's how faithful you are over the long haul. It's, that's what 
Paul is, is telling us here. He says, because we struggle in faith, I want you to be strong in faith. I want you to be able to go through tests that come. I want you to be able to go through disappointments that come. But there's a way to do that. And so he tells us by, that we need to be rooted and built up in Christ in order to be strengthened in our faith. He uses a, an analogy, an illustration from construction. He says we need to be rooted in Christ. We need to have our foundation in Christ. And we also need to be built up in Christ. The supports of our bodies and our lives should be Christ. So both the substructure and the superstructure of our lives should be Christ so that everything in our lives is built upon Christ, everything in our lives hangs on Christ, and so anything that moves against us is also taking Christ into it, and Christ keeps us strong through the test. Just as a strong foundation and a strong superstructure are important to a building, and both are important to a building, so both of those are important in our lives. A, a foundation by itself can't support a building forever. Anything could come on the superstructure and knock it down. If the superstructure is great and built, but it doesn't have a good foundation, it could be knocked down. But if everything is rooted and established and built up, then... It can withstand the things that come against us. And that's what we are to be. We need both of those to face the struggles that come in life. Christ has to be under all, in all, and through all. And then we will be strengthened in faith. When we look at Scripture, Abraham is often used as an example of a person who had faith. God told Abraham some pretty outlandish things. The most outlandish was, hey, Abraham, even though you're a very old man, you and Sarah, your very old wife, are going to have a baby. When your peers are rocking themselves in rocking chairs, you're going to be rocking your own newborn baby. When your peers are using walkers themselves, you're going to be helping your son learn to walk. It's pretty outlandish stuff. And yet Abraham believed. And in Genesis we read, Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Now, did Abraham struggle with his belief? Sure he did. You would too if you were 80, 90 years old and God said you were going to have a kid. He felt like maybe he needed to take things into his own hands. And he did at times. But it wasn't the one test or the one failure. It was the whole of his life that then God could say he believed and he was faithful. About 2,000 years later when the Apostle Paul reflected back on Abraham in his letter to the Romans, he wrote something important. Take a left turn in your scriptures and go back to the book of Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4 verse 18. 2,000 years later, Abraham's dead, gone, been gone forever. Sure, he failed at times, but he was faithful through it all. And listen to how Paul sums up this. Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed. Against all hope, in hope, Abraham believed. Isn't that a powerful word? And so he became the father of many nations just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. 
without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact. It was a fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet, he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised to do. Paul knew that the faithful struggle with faith. And so even here in Romans, he gives us an example of one of the faithful who struggled with faith, but he tells us, even against hope, Abraham had hope and he believed. Even though he knew with his own mind the fact that what God had promised was absolutely impossible, he still believed and he was faithful. Abraham really believed that what he believed was really real. And he walked with God. Paul goes on to say in verse 22, this is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. Abraham is to serve as an example to encourage the strengthening of our faith. If Abraham believed that God could do what he did in Abraham's life, then we can believe that God will do in our lives what we need him to do in the struggles that we face. When you need comfort in the face of grief, think of Abraham's faith. When you need strength in the, in the weight of a burden, think of Abraham's faith. When you need help holding on for the roller coaster that you find yourself in, think of Abraham's faith. Think about the geriatric couple that found themselves in the pediatric floor of the hospital. If you're having trouble with faith, drive into a nursing home, walk in. And find the oldest man and woman you can find there and think, hmm, if God could do that, then God can help me. The faithful struggle with faith, but we have to trust Him. And when we do, our faith will be strengthened, especially when we consider the example of Abraham. I found this true this week. It's been a, a roller coaster of a week. The VBS theme was very apt for this week. It's been a roller coaster of emotion for a lot of us with the loss of Tim Stafford, one of our deacons at an early age, 59 years old, and then uh, my own family's trials with our two-week-old son, Evan, who's in the NICU. And uh, Tuesday morning was absolutely horrible. Friday evening wasn't much better. Wednesday and Thursday were pretty good. But it's been a roller coaster of emotions. Yet all this week, I was thinking and working on this message about being strengthened in the faith. And one afternoon, I was driving to the church or the hospital, I forget where, on 28 East. And I remember thinking, you know what? I may never preach on being strong in the faith again. Because it seems to come with a test. But there was something about having to sit down and work on this message that was actually helpful in the week because I had to ask myself the question, do I really believe that what I believe is really real? And I do. Though I don't understand why God can take a 59-year-old man home so early in life. I still believe. Though I don't understand why my child can't be perfectly healthy like we prayed and come home, I still have faith. Now, don't hear that as preacher talk. 
Don't hear that as, oh, the preacher's got it all together because the preacher don't have it all together. Because there's been some real valleys this week. There's been some real times of struggle. And several times I started to just say, forget this message. It'll come later. We'll get to it. I'm going to get somebody else to preach Sunday because I don't think I can do this. My faith was shaking. My strength was failing. But then I remembered, really I was reminded that nothing strengthens our faith like the testing of our faith. You'll turn over to the book of James for a moment. I was actually led to this book by one of the NICU nurses. As we were, one morning this week, I, I went in to, to check on Evan while Rebecca stayed back home with Zach, and they tried to rest a little bit. And I was in the NICU just holding Evan and feeding him, I think, and um, the nurse was right beside me working on another baby, and she just said, what'd y'all think when you first found out that your baby had downs. And so I kind of walked her through what we had been through. And as we talked about that, the barriers came down. And she shared with me about her own three-month-old baby that they just discovered might have some kind of developmental problem. And uh, they were concerned about that. And she said, and I, I discovered in the conversation that she's a, a believer and her husband's a believer. And so I asked about church. And they go to a church here in Pineville. And I know their pastor. And so we, the, all, the, all the barriers came down, you know. No threat of lawsuit going to happen here. We can talk, right? So uh, she said, my husband has been living in James. And as she shared that, I thought, James. James 1, 2, through four. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, when we read this, we say, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. We say, it's not fun going through this stuff. I'm not laughing. I'm not giddy. I'm not having a good time with these trials, but that's not what James is saying he doesn't mean to say that we like the trials or we enjoy the trials or we have a party while we're having the trials. He says that we need to consider it joy not because of the trial but because of the result of the trial. Because of the perseverance that will come, because of the strength that will be gained, because of the growth that we will see. When in the midst of the trial we're to look at the end and anticipate what will come as a result. Those of you who are runners know this. There's a certain amount of discomfort that comes during the race, but the thought of the victory of the finish line keeps you moving forward. And so you anticipate that. I had the same thing when I was in PhD studies. It wasn't fun. There were times that it was fun, but there were times when it was terrible. But yet the thought of the finish line kept me going on because it was worth it to endure and to continue. The problem with the struggles that we have and the reason we have a hard time considering it joy, I think, because we don't know when the finish line is going to come. You know, at least when you're running a race, you know it's a mile or it's 10 miles or whatever. You know, and I've made it five, so there's only five left. When you're in school, you know I only have this many semesters left or this many courses left. When you're in the midst of the trial of life, it's hard because you don't know how long this might continue to go. And just when you think you might be ending the, getting the near end of it, then it gets even longer. 
But still, James says, consider it pure joy when you face trials because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. It all comes back to, do I really believe what I believe is really real? If I do, then I can face those trials with confidence that God is with me. If I do, then I will grow in my own faith each day. Now, that's a lot to take in. Be strengthened in the faith. Have faith like Abraham. Realize that trials can help you be strengthened in the faith. And yet, that is what we mean when we say we want to be strengthened in the faith. We must be able to face challenges with faith. We must be able to defend our faith. We must be able to stand strong on the Word of God and not be shaken. But as we've asked each week, what does that look like? What does it look like to be strengthened in the faith? When we, when we face times of grief and trials, what does it look like to be strong in the faith? Does it mean we, we never say something in exasperation? Does it mean we never get mad at God? No. What does it look like? When our, when our faith is challenged by someone outside of the faith, what does it look like to be strong in the faith? The parents of our church several years ago shared some ideas about what it meant. The first thing they said is a person who's strong in the faith will have confidence in their walk with Christ. A person who's strengthened in the faith really believes that what he believes is really real. And they get there by checking their faith almost daily. The little letter of 1 John is a, a great little book that we typically point people to when they're struggling with do they really know Christ or not. And we do that because John gives us some tests by which we can look at our life. He, he says, you know, look at how you are loving other people. If you're loving like God, then you're probably, you probably know the Lord. What are you believing? Are you believing the right things? Is your doctrine sound? Then chances are you know the Lord. And... How are you living? Is your life consistent with God's teaching? And if it is, then maybe you truly are a believer. And we, we get people to look at that test to, so that they can have confidence in their walk or they can get right with Christ so they can have confidence in their walk with Christ. They go through a, a mental checklist so that they will be able to think about their life and they can say, yes, I am living the right way. My life is consistent with Scripture. Yes, I am loving people as God loves them. Yes, I do believe the, the right things and I, I believe the true things and I do have confidence in my walk with Christ. I was encouraged this week when one of our uh, younger members said that she has found this sermon series helpful because as we list out these kind of things, a person who's strengthened in the faith, or a person who's uh, focused on God, a person who's involved in ministry, respected by peers, all these things we've been doing each week, she says she goes through a mental checklist each week and says, there, doing pretty good there, need to work there. And she says it's actually given her confidence in her faith to move forward. And that's what we, we want to happen, that we can all do that, that we can find areas that need to be shored up, find areas where we can be encouraged in our, our walk. And all the time we're being strengthened in our faith and gaining increasing confidence. A person who is strengthened in faith will really believe that what they believe is really real, real so that they have confidence in their walk with Christ. But second, a person who is strengthened in the faith will be able to boldly defend their faith while still communicating love and respect for other religions and denominations. I believe that 
in the next decade, this is going to be the absolutely most important thing that any of us are going to have to be able to do. We're going to have to train our children to be able to do it, our youth, and all of us adults. In an age of tolerance and pluralism, we're going to be have to able to stand for truth while defending our faith, while also exhibiting appropriate respect for other religions and denominations. Uh, Peter had something to, to say about that in 1 Peter chapter 3, um, verses 15 and 17. When he says this, he says... But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. That's a good word for the day that we live in. And it's a good measure of how we move forward in confronting culture and keeping the truth still strong. Not wavering on what we believe in, but being able to present it in a way that it can be received. We have to be trained and equipped in, in the faith and knowing what we believe and why we believe what we believe. And that takes time, that takes dedication, it takes work, but we must give both and all of that, if we expect to survive in this challenging world. In order to defend the faith, you have to really believe that what you believe is really real or you will be crushed. But there's still another thing that a person who's strengthened in faith will do. And that is that a person who's strengthened in faith will have a foundation with which to deal with the real world. That's a statement from our parents and I thought it was great. Have a foundation with which to deal with the real world. You know, the real world is not always like the world we grow up in. The real world is not always like our home, our community, our church. We leave and we go out in the real world and we find out that people don't always act like you expect them to do. Things don't always turn out like you expect them to turn out. In fact, you don't even always act or do what you would expect yourself to do. The real world is challenging. And we need a foundation with which to deal with it. The real world is a roller coaster. And so the, the theme this week in Vacation Bible School was, was very good for illustrating this point. Our Bible School theme verse this week um, is helpful for helping us to have a foundation with which to deal with the real world. It's 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. And we all learned it in the Holman Christian Standard Bible. But workers and kids, would you say it for us right now? Well, they said it, just not all together. <laughs> it's not near that long. It sounded like it's like a chapter and a half. <laughs> For God has not given us a spirit of fearfulness, but one of power, love, and of sound judgment. Our motto was facing fears, trusting God. It's right there. Facing our fear, trusting God. And that's right where this, this is a foundation with which to deal with the real world. When we face grief, when we face challenges, when we face testing, when we face ridicule or whatever comes our way in life, we have to face these fears. 
Because God has not given us a, fear, a spirit of fearfulness, but one of power, of love, and of sound judgment. One of my favorite stories about Jesus is when he was on the water, uh, walking, uh, walking on the water toward the boat. You remember the story, the storm's raging. The, the disciples are already freaking out because they, they know a storm's bad. It's a bad storm. They're, they're in a boat in a storm. And then they look out and they see this guy walking toward them, which... For them, they figured he was a ghost, and to see a ghost in a storm at night was a terrible thing. It meant you were going to die, and so the disciples are totally freaking out. But then they realize it's Jesus, and Jesus says, I am here. Why are you afraid? And the sense of that question, why are you afraid, is I am here. You have no reason to be afraid. I'm here. You have no reason to be afraid. God has not given us a spirit of fearfulness. The real world can ha cause us to have a lot of fear, but Jesus says, I'm here. You have no reason to be afraid. Early this morning as I was reviewing the message, and I thought, I wonder how many times it talks about in Scripture about afraid. Do not be afraid. And so, you know, you can do that kind of search real fast these days and pulled up 200 and something references in Scripture. And I just started looking through, and I realized how many of them have to do with just Basic life things and big Bible shifts in Scripture. The big story of, of God's movement. There was times of fear. The times of God moving basically in people's lives, there was times of fear. I mean, from the beginning in Genesis 3, Adam says, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. He was afraid because of his sin. Abram, when he's called, he's afraid. Sarah was afraid. Hagar was afraid. Moses had to tell the people as they came to the Red Sea, God had just brought them out of Egypt. And Moses, and they come to the Red Sea and they're like, oh no, what are we going to do? And, and Moses has to tell the people, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance of the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The calling of Joshua to follow Moses' as leader. You remember it says, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Follow the Lord. In Judges, Gideon was freaking out. And God said, if you're afraid to attack tonight, go down, sneak into the Midianites' camp, and I'll give you a word that will help you know that you're going to be okay. Ruth was afraid. Samuel was afraid to give Eli the vision that he had heard. David told Solomon, his son, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Everything that you need is going to come for the building of the temple. In 2 Chronicles, King Jehoshaphat was worried and the Lord said to him, Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Nehemiah was afraid. In the Psalms, David writes, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? In Psalm 56, he says, When I am afraid, I will trust in you. And it continues through the prophets. It continues through the gospels. It continues on into Acts when even Paul was afraid. And it continues until Revelation. When we see, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and he said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am here. You have no reason to be afraid. 
We need to know that the spirit that God gives us is one of power and of love and of sound judgment. It's not one of fearfulness. All of these encouragements should help us to have a foundation with which to deal with the real world. And when we have that foundation, then we can really believe that what we believe is really real, that it's really true. So I wonder this morning, do you really believe that what you believe is really true? If you're struggling, that's okay. Remember we said it's okay to struggle. It's okay to wonder. It's okay to doubt. It's not the one test. It's how you do on all of them over life. But if you're struggling today, then I ask you to do this. Come to Jesus as that one father did whose son was possessed. The this, this father came wanting healing for his son. The father was struggling with belief. He said, Lord, if you, if you can, can heal him, would you do it? And Jesus said, if I can, and kind of reprimanded him for his belief. And the man said, you know what? I believe. Help my unbelief. Here's how much belief I have. Help me with what I don't have. And so if you find yourself struggling this morning, come right there as that father did to Jesus, just saying, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And ask the Lord to provide what you need because He is faithful. He is able. He is willing. He knows you. He wants to know you. And He wants to be there for you in the midst of a struggle and hurt. May we pray together. Lord, we thank you that you give us your word that you remind us that there are challenges in life and there are struggles. There are things that don't make sense, but that, God, you are there in the midst of everything. And so, Lord, one of the things that we want to see happen in our church is that we raise first kids into first adults who are strengthened in faith. So, Lord, we pray that you would strengthen our faith today. Wherever we may be, some of us struggling, some of us hurting, some of us doing well, today some of us on roller coasters some of us have been peaks some of us have been valleys some feel like we've crashed Lord we pray that you would give us the strength for the faith we believe help our unbelief we know Lord that knowing you is the absolute best thing and so Lord help us to continually look to you so that we might find mercy to help us in our time of need and so that we may be strong in the faith. We have no reason to be afraid for you are with us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.